This episode of the King's Hall is brought to you by John Michael Clark over at The Family Captain and our supporters at Patreon.com. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Proverbs 5.23 Many men that were just boys in the 1980s or 1990s recall many fond hours spent with friends or siblings in front of a television screen, frantically mashing the buttons of a Nintendo, Xbox, or PlayStation game console. Whether racing in Mario Kart, making thumb blisters in Street Fighter, or accusing your brother of screen peeking in GoldenEye, the games may change depending on age, but the experience remains the same. Most of us had this experience as part of our childhood. Gaming has changed since that time as games have become more complex, more interactive, and to some extent, even more addictive. To some, gaming is fun entertainment, but to others, it is the ultimate escape from a life where it feels impossible to win. On August 8th of 2015, a 17-year-old Russian boy named Rustem broke his leg. Most boys would be disappointed with the mishap because of the freedom of summer would no longer allow for the joys of summer vacation. Rustem, however, was not disappointed. In fact, he was excited about his broken leg because it would give him time to play his favorite video game, Defense of the Ancients. Defense of the Ancients is a multiplayer online battle arena, a mod part of the World of Warcraft game series known to have massive worldwide appeal. Rustam's parents, seeing little of their 17-year-old son, quickly had grown used to the sound of him pounding at his keyboard behind the closed door of his bedroom. The boy averaged playing the game staggering six and a half hours a day without his broken leg. His parents thought nothing of their son playing a little extra during his recovery. His gaming continued without notice. Rustam played for hours with only minor breaks to nap, eat, or use the bathroom. Those hours, however, turned into days. Days turned into weeks, and the pounding of the keyboard continued. The boy remained stationary in his chair with a broken leg playing his game. His parents noticed one day that the keyboard was silent. There was not the usual frantic pounding of keys on his desk that had become part of the home's background white noise. The parents opened the 17-year-old's bedroom door and found their son unconscious on his keyboard. Quickly, he was rushed to the hospital where he was declared dead on arrival. Doctors discovered that the boy had died from second-class thrombosis due to his lack of movement. His blood was clotting in his circulatory system because he sat stationary for such a massive stretch of time. The doctors asked the parents about the boy's lack of movement, and they discovered that the boy had been sitting in his chair gaming for 22 days straight. The King's Hall podcast exists to make self-ruled men who rule well and win the world. Well, gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the King's Hall podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Eric Kahn, and uh, what a fascinating story, first of all. Wow. I want to introduce you guys, but... Brian was actually had to get up and move I, while listening to the cold open. I hate stories of blood clots uh-huh, and yeah. like brain aneurysms because they make me feel anxious and so sad and angry at the same time with that story. Unbelievable. I, I think there was like one crucial detail, though, Dan, that I didn't hear in the story. Like if he was a Russian, was he wearing an Adidas tracksuit? 
So you could picture it. Yes. Yes, he he definitely was. Yep, definitely picture it. Probably had a gold chain. He didn't have the chest hair yet. He was only 17. He was Serbian tiger in the room. That's crazy. 22 days. Gentlemen, welcome to this episode. What an encouraging story and cold open to start. But gentlemen, I kind of have to know, how have you guys been? We've It's been a little... Well, for the last 22 days, I've been gaming. (laughs) Just to see if it works. That's why we haven't had an episode of the King's Hall. We've been World of War... What did you say? Mod? I didn't understand about half of what you said. I'm going to be honest. I didn't either. So there are going to be listeners that are like, this idiot. He doesn't even know. He didn't pronounce that right. They're like, yeah, I I actually don't know. This idiot didn't spend years of his life... I'm on Wikipedia. Like, what is the World of Warcraft? He's probably Number not even level from 60. Blizzard something. So, no, no, no. He's probably not even a level sixty mage. Well, warlock, warlock. I don't. I, I literally don't know. I don't even know what just happened. My kids keep saying like, "Oh, Dad, the neighborhood kids, it, uh, Minecraft." And I was like, "Explain this to me." Oh like, man, you. I, I bought Minecraft okay. back in the day. I was it was in college, so it was like 2002. Yeah. I don't know when the game came out. So my numbers could be off, but yeah. I bought it like way back then. Did you play it? You, you I did. It? Yeah, I played it when it was like in beta testing. Well, I felt like such it's, a boomer because uh, several wow, years ago. I shouldn't have said that out loud. I felt like such a boomer because several years ago, the kids were like, yeah, we this game, it's Minecraft. And I was like, that's one of the lamest games of all time. I thought they were talking Mind about Sweep? Minesweeper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought, so not only Minecraft, but then my kids were playing uh, this game on, like, you know, grandparents. They'll be like, oh, here you go. Play on this thing. And they were playing this game where you just tap the screen and there's a little pickaxe. It's just dig mining down. And I was like, do you win? They were like, no, you just keep digging further. Do you, like, are, is there any accomplishments? No. The more you tap, the more you dig. That's the whole game. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And I think they would have done it. For 22 days straight until they died of deep vein thrombosis. Had they been allowed <laughs> deep vein thrombosis. So otherwise, I've been really good. We had our conference. And so that that went very, very well. Really excited about how that went. Yeah. Very encouraging. Yep. Got to meet a lot of our uh, King's Hall listeners. Very encouraging to meet those yeah, that was fellows. Great. Everyone who came out listening now, thanks, guys. You're the real kings. It was so it was so great. They are the real kings. Uh, Brian, Dan, today we're going to be talking about the digital matrix and how to keep your kids out of it. But maybe a preliminary question here, because I think if you read, you know, you listen to the cold open, what Dan read, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, this is an episode. They're just bashing video games, maybe a little just for fun. <laughs> but there's actually a bigger picture here in the digital matrix. So, Brian, you kind of came up with this this term, keeping your kids out of the digital matrix. What do you have in mind with the digital matrix? Maybe what are some of the problems with it? So when we say digital matrix, when, when I'm you know talking about that phrase, really what I'm talking about is just the, the gravity, the massive gravity of the online and digital world, especially as it has developed into all of these central and peripheral technologies. So, so this, this digital world is all the time trying to suck every one of us in, not just our kids, Mm. but every one of us into it and basically convince us to replace as much of our lives as possible with digital alternatives on the face of it, because it's, you can monetize every single one of those steps. So it's, there's a business incentive there. Uh, but I think there's more nefarious things as well. Oh man, are you going to get Hanukkah Cosmos on us? Are you going to say there's like malevolent demons that are behind the scenes of the digital world pulling the strings? Listen, I'm not going to say that sucking there's our not. souls out through our eyes into the 
TV screens. I'm not going to say that you're not exactly describing reality right now. I just want let the record show. Ben Garrett is in the <laughs> room and he is emphatically nodding his head. In he's agreement. like, he's like, yes, yes. It's so the true, watchers. Gang. so true. But you think about watchers. like social media. There, there's a digital friendship, digital debate, digital worldview reformation. Uh, replaces the kind of things that happened at the Eagle and Child Pub with. Owen with Barfield and Lewis and Tolkien, where they got together for friendship, arguing, worldview, clash, rhetoric, debate. That used to happen in person. Now it largely happens on social media. Television and movies give you a sensation of living within someone else's stories while you sit there with your mouth hanging open, doing nothing. All these things, they have a place, right? But, but that's what it is. Video games. Again, digital conquest, adventure, pornography. This doesn't have a place, actually, by the way. But <laughs> I said all these things have a place. Then I said pornography. No, except this one. Digital sex. Smartphones. That's a never-off gateway to all of these things that's never more than three or four feet away from you. And so like most of these technologies in and of themselves can be used by a wise person in, in, in wise ways. But particularly when it comes to our children and still with us, you know, we're not fully formed. Our children are not wise. These things tend to have this kind of gravity to suck you in and overwhelm your loves and, and, and basically make it so that they're tempted to replace all of the virtues, these long, difficult, deep, but satisfying loves with easy, cheap, fake, instantly available digital alternatives that are fundamentally shallower than their analog or real counterparts. So that's the digital matrix is like this whole digital world that's trying to suck all of us in. And we as fathers in this season of fatherhood, we have particular duties to think carefully about this issue. Yeah. So there's an interesting point here that people are on a spectrum here from what what's called like technological Luddites, people mm-hmm. who are like no technology, to people who are like, you know, use it well, it's all good. Yeah. Um, what, what's interesting to me, though, is if you study the ways – and Cal Newport talks about this in his book, Digital Minimalism. But if you study the ways that – like social media is one example. They were designed to be as addictive as possible. Yeah. Um, they have things in the Instagram feeds, for example. If they know you're a man, they're going to regularly filter in like pornographic-type stuff. Yeah. And then over time, what they're going to do is give you more and more and more. So basically all of this with the uh, – Notifications that show up on your screen. What do you call those? Um, alert alerts. Yeah, it's like, like push it's notifications. Push notifications. Thank yeah, you. yeah, yeah. That whole system was designed to be a constant dopamine drip that that created people who were addicted to checking their phones mm-hmm. because people said this is an advertiser's dream. We can we're in somebody's hand all the time. So I want to ask you guys when you are just generally are thinking of technology. Um, where are you on that spectrum? Is it always bad? Is it always good? Probably somewhere in the middle, but I'm curious your principled take on that. Yeah, so the way that I relate to technology is that I would be in the middle of the spectrum somewhere where obviously all things, we're free to all things to participate in that. So entertainment is is free for us mm-hmm. to participate in with a movie or or even the use of your cell phone or even the use of social media there are obviously boundaries in there. And mm-hmm. so the lines, depending on the media, the media type, the lines, the boundaries change. But I think that one is free as long as one does not become enslaved to it or yeah. is not actively sinning, using the thing. Because there is some form, I don't want to say neutrality because it's not neutral, but mm-hmm. the media itself is just a thing. You mm-hmm. know, just like 
you know, I've got bottles of scotch in front of me. One is free to participate if their conscience allows in having a drink, but there are boundaries. Like one is not free to be dr- drunk. Yeah. You know, in the same way, one is free it, as long as it's not immoral to, to participate in playing a video game. But as soon as one becomes enslaved to it, you are not free anymore. That's right. the, you are a slave to it. You know, and obviously we gave an extreme example in the cold open. 22 days straight is yeah. shocking. I mean, even the six and a half hours a day is yep. unbelievable. I think it was 88 days within a, a year and a half of, of game time that this 17-year-old boy had had actually accomplished. That was his accomplishment. Wow. And so for me, part of my past was I, I used to game a lot. You know, I mentioned Minecraft. I played Call of Duty and other stuff. I won't get too nerdy. I don't want to lose all credibility. And <laughs> the thing is, I, I, one day, uh, so I, I was about to be married to my now wife. And in my Call of Duty profile, it says how many hours of gameplay yeah, that you've Whoa. done. And this isn't counting like waiting to to get into the next match or the I, I can't even remember the terminology. It's been uh-huh. so long. But not just sitting there waiting to get into the next the next match. So just active gameplay. And it was over five days. Granted, I had I had, had the game for years, but I started thinking about that. I'm like, wait a minute, five days, that's twenty-four hour days. Like that's I should I should be a polyglot. Like I could learn, have learned <laughs> many languages. How many days was it? It was over five days wow. worth of time Wow! in okay. like three years. But that, you know what's funny is that that's not actually that crazy. No. Like that's not bad. I have heard crazy numbers. Yeah. So yeah. you were actually pretty restrained. If that's well, three I, years. I hadn't lost my job from playing video right, games right. at that yeah, point. Yeah. And I had a and relationship. You, and a woman was willing to marry you, clearly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that probably, anyway, I'm grateful for it. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, but I I saw that and I was very convicted over that, over the amount of time that I'd spent doing that. This wasn't supposed to be just like a monologue about me and my interaction with with video games. But once I got married, I stopped because I realized that this was something that that was better off – not being in my life, not mm-hmm. because I think that video games are as a whole, as a category, immoral, but because my interaction with them, I was I was becoming enslaved to it. Yeah. And so I decided that was not something that I needed. Also, I became convinced that, you know, it, it's really I said in the in the cold open that that a lot of guys that are attracted to to video games it's because you can get victory in a in a life that's so hard to win in. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to win in real life. Yeah. And you get those cheap dopamine hits and then at the end you've accomplished absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. Like I could pawn some noobs in Call of Duty mm-hmm. and attain victory and like video game glory, but then ultimately I'm on a TV screen alone in my bedroom. <laughs> With a video game controller, growing paler by the day, <laughs> yeah, and weaker and <laughs> yeah. even more paler. sickly. So anyway, that's that's how I interact with video games. I still feel free. Like if I, you know, go to someone's house and they would say, "Hey, you want to play a game of Madden or something like that?" I think that that's fine. Yeah, like I don't have a problem with it. But for me and my house, that's what I've determined is that video games just aren't going to be part of my kid's childhood, and it's not going to be part of my life. Well, it's, it's interesting, and Brian, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts as, as you talk about kind of what your principles are here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the things we'll delve into in this show, Jean Twenge, in her book, iGen, 
she talks about how uh, the the latest generation, Gen Z, mm-hmm. has been shaped more than any other feature, more than any other generation has been by this technological change. Mm-hmm. So 07, uh, s- smartphone, iPhone comes out, 2012, then you have the iPad. Um, it's been a radical shift, and particularly what she argues is that it's affected kids. Mm-hmm. So I-, I-, I would say it's one thing we have to think through as mature adults, mm-hmm. but then there's something else for the kids too because kids are – particularly vulnerable to these forms of medium and technology has changed. You remember people were amusing ourselves to death, uh, books like that. Oh yeah. They were concerned about TV. Mm-hmm. TV got nothing on smartphones. Oh yeah. No, absolutely. If Neil Postman were alive today, because that book was so prescient yeah, and so prophetic, it's amazing how much of it he predicted without even knowing the way that it would go. But, but I would, his, his book on smartphones, if that was like a, a five alarm fire. This would be like there are nuclear bombs in the air type of yeah. alert. I mean, it's it's such an intensification of the, of the same issues. Do you think it's does that change then the way that you think through these? It does for me, in terms of like I'm not handing my 16 year old an iPhone and saying have at it, good luck. No, no, and I think a lot of this that you have to remember. Many of us who are making these kinds of decisions, a lot of our listeners are millennials or older. We have a lot of Zoomer listeners too who are, you know, obviously born after like 95, 96. But if you were born in the 80s, early 90s, like before 1995, I think is about the cutoff, then you probably had a largely analog childhood. Uh, That was my, even I'm the youngest one on the King's Hall by a a couple years. Like how old are you guys? I can't even remember. I'm 32. You guys are yeah, so yeah. late 30s. I wasn't even thinking about that. So I'm 38. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan's 38. I didn't even have – so I got my first phone. I think uh-huh. I was probably 16. Yeah. And it was one of those uh, tiny little Nokia brick phones. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was awesome because you could play Snake on it. <laughs> but you it, had Snake? It was an analog phone. Bro, you were living in 3008. Yeah. I was in 2000 late. Yeah. So then I, I think my first smartphone – I'm sorry. My first smartphone, honestly, was um, – my in-laws bought me one of those droid, Motorola droids, and it had, like, the keyboard and oh, everything. Oh, yeah. So jank compared to, like, what phones are now. Yeah. That, that, but that, I was probably 24, 25. Yeah. I was almost a pastor before I got a smartphone. I didn't get a cell phone until I was 16, 17. And then became a pastor. And it was a, <laughs> it was a non-smartphone. <laughs> I didn't even have a snake. We got it because my parents were saying, you know, if you're going to go drive a car, you have to be able to get in touch with us. Which is a, a a rule that we made up at that point. It's funny if you think about it. Like before that, you you didn't have to have a phone, but had the phone. Grew up. I mean, I owned a house. I was married before I owned a smartphone, and I was born in ninety one. So you get. I mean, think about the difference in the way that we were formed in that mostly analog childhood. Playing outside, if you wanted to, we had some video game stuff. I mean, we had an N sixty four at one point, and the way I interacted with it was my brother would play Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time, and I would like because it was a strategy game. I would be like, "Hey, you should go do." I never played it, but I could beat the game. I think you know, still just from watching. But that was about it. It was Duck Hunter. It was some of those Mario Kart type games or whatever, and that was like. Probably didn't even turn it on in, in the average week growing up. Well, and I could think like uh, like my mom was uh, – she would listen to like Focus on the Family and so like Plugged In Online had just come out. 
And they still have that, by the way. They'll evaluate oh, yeah. movies yeah. and say, like, here's what's bad and good, and here's what to think through. Uh, really helpful, actually. Yeah. But I remember, like, at that time, they were really addressing, like, it was movies and music. Mm-hmm. That's really where you had to guard your kids. And I guess my point with all of this is today, there's so many more fronts that are so much closer and in, in, in your home, next to your kids all the time. Yep. And I think a lot of Christians— uh, I, I want to ask this question, what you guys think, you know, what are some of the, kind of the dumb things Christian parents do? But I think one of them is like the number of pastors I've talked to where they're like, we have 15 year old kids sending each other like inappropriate oh, yeah. naked Snapchat, like literally felonies, like Snapchat is a big one because yeah. the messages disappear. Um, there are certain technologies where I'm like, nobody in our, I, I've just said nobody in our house has Snapchat. Yeah, you just not helpful, certain not things good. Off limits. You just don't even do that. So, so again, what are maybe some other poor ways? I guess that parents think through these types of issues mm-hmm. or deal with them. Well, I mean, it, one of the things that's always shocking to me is when I go out in public or to the park, or I see Christmas photos from friends on Facebook or whatever. It seems like their kids have iPads mm-hmm. with like the rubber. Oh yeah, the handles case. the case. Yeah, and they just like they're glued to these things. Yeah, and the thing that's happening with that is is constant dopamine, dopamine hits constant with these mm-hmm. kids. There's a lack of eye movement. It's really bad for for uh, development, <coughs> childhood development, and things like that. And so, one of the things that I'm I'm really cognizant of with my children is, uh, and we do have an iPad specifically for the kids, but it is for a reading program for Baron. And I don't, I don't really like it. I don't think it's a very good program. But anyway, uh, my wife does use it on occasion. Uh, is that I, I'm thinking through the amount of screen time that my young children have. Not, I mean, because the TV principles still apply. You know, you, you talked about Neil Postman and, mm-hmm. and a lot of his stuff with television. That's that's not gone away. No, it's just been amplified with other devices like an iPad mm-hmm. and like a smartphone. Yep. And I. I'm sure any of us with small children can relate to, you know, if you show your kids a, a funny video on YouTube or on social media or whatever, and all of a sudden they're like frantic. They just want more. Mm-hmm. They want more and more and more. And they will never be satiated. Yeah. You know, just like your kids with the that ridiculous digging game. Or you even know, that's like, just how kids work. Yeah, but just like kids with candy. I mean, they, they have like no... F- filter for like, I should stop now. Right, right. So you have yeah. to filter a lot of that. And it's really became, in a, a when we're watching too much TV, I know because I go to read to the, my kids at night and they're like, no reading, I want TV. Yep. And I'm like, Amelia, we're not doing TV. No yeah. TV. Yeah. Uh, because that that is a big problem because there are certain things that I want to foster in my children, mm-hmm. loves and preferences and things like that. That's part of the cultural outflow of my house. Like I want them to love certain things and to not prefer other things. And so the things I want them to prefer are books. And Mm -hmm. if your children are being raised on the constant dopamine hits hits of of videos, and this goes for adults too, because you're training your appetites, Mm -hmm. is that you start to despise things like reading. It becomes boring Mm -hmm. because your brain is thirsting for that dopamine hit Mm -hmm. and it's not coming. Yeah. And so I can't remember what your question was because I've rambled on for so long. <laughs> but when I'm looking at my young kids, I really want to put barriers up on all screens mm-hmm. um, and use them sparingly. Mm-hmm. And use them sparingly. So yeah, some dumb things parents do with technology and screens. 
I would say, let us count the ways. Mm-hmm. Okay, babysitting with with television in YouTube, where you let them watch YouTube channels or YouTube creators, Mr. Beast, things that you go like, this is family-friendly stuff, a lot mm-hmm. of it, mm-hmm. but I'm going to put that on to basically anesthetize my children because the thing is children are really difficult and loud and unself-controlled. You have to be the external control factor as they grow up with the aim of forming in them the internal self-rule. They need to be ruled externally until they have that. And then there's a handoff, this dance, you know, as they become even 10, 11, 12, up, up into their adult years. So what you're doing, a dumb thing parents do, is that they actually use what is the equivalent of digital anesthesia to, instead of forming that mechanism of self-mastery, where their kids have to learn to get along, to push through uh, difficult things, to go outside, to do things that take a minute for them to be enjoyable. You have to learn, ride your bikes, get skinned knees, build a fort, go sweat, you know, get dirty outside, play with the you know, friends, all of that. All of those things take, take a while, and those build up that muscle. The more and more you anesthetize your children for your own convenience, you're actually eroding that mechanism formation. You're preventing it from happening. That's really interesting you bring that up because Eric and I had talked at great uh, length about this on Wilderness Warrior, which is a oh, throwback yeah, way back in time. Yeah. Because the question is constantly asked, like, when when you describe elk hunting, it sounds like one of the most horrible things a human being can do. It sounds terrible. Because you were literally miserable the whole time. And we've all experienced this, mm-hmm. right? Is like oh, yeah. you go on a backpacking trip yep. or you go camping or or whatever it might be. Yeah. And really the the whole experience is awful. It's not not pleasant. And then you get done and you look back and you're like, that was amazing. We definitely want to do that again. Yeah. It's like the long fun versus the the quick hit fun. And the mm-hmm. thing that well, I remember we compared it to food. is like, yeah, it's junk food. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like you go to a movie and you're like, yeah, that was fun. And you never remember it. Like it's 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 yeah. uh, it's a quick hit. It's like junk food, like the sugar rush. It's pleasurable in the moment. As my uncle always said, moment on the lips is a lifetime on the hips. Uh, anyway, yeah. I don't know what that has to do with anything. <laughs> but, but it's true. Same but, principle. <laughs> Yeah. But the uh, the long fun is something that has to be trained, yeah. like to endure the suffering because it's worth it in the long run, which is life, right? Yeah. yeah. The cultivation of a healthy marriage, the the raising of your children, all of that is long, difficult work. And when you start passing on the the quick hit, mm-hmm. the, the anesthetized, yeah. you know, parenting, that's how your children are being trained to actually interact with life. Yeah. So. You can see this. I'm sure we've all experienced it before. You're you're sitting down. You have to write something difficult. Email, you know, some some boring uh, essay for school or something difficult for work. Spreadsheet, and immediately your brain is like, "I want to do anything but this." And you, without intention, even open Twitter, open Facebook, mm-hmm. open YouTube, whatever it is, because you've trained yourself that when things get hard, you distract. Yeah, seek like, the easy thing. Seek the exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. So, so that is something that you definitely yeah. uh, have to guard against with your kids. And, and you're training yourself too mm-hmm. in that. So you're also it's it's interesting. You're taking the same mechanism and method. You're eroding in yourself the same thing you're eroding in your children, which is <laughs> difficulty of actually raising and loving and parenting your children. 
And this isn't, again, like, if you make this into an all or nothing sort of thing, like, if you ever watch something with your kids or you ever let your children watch something, then you're an idiot. Well, no, no, that's not what we're saying at all. There, There is a time and a place where it's like, in our family, we try to make it a family event. We're going to watch River Monsters and watch Jeremy Wade catch a 13-foot stingray in Southeast Asia, and it's going to be amazing. And we're all going to talk about it, and we're going to joke about it later. It's going to be a shared thing that a part of our family vernacular that they know about river monsters and you know strange lore about catfish in the Amazon River and stuff. But you know, so that's one error, I think. Another one though is simply treating these, failing to recognize that while the technology itself can often be uh, a tool and tools can be used for good or evil. What you're actually talking about with technology is not mere technology, but ecosystems that are created by people who hate you. So a a mistake is to fail to recognize as a parent that when you step into YouTube, you are in a world that is created by people who hate you and hate God. You just, I mean, Google owns the thing. And that means they are not interested in forming Christ in you. And so my children, like, we watched some Mr. Beast videos here and there. And I was like, uh, after a little bit of that, I was like, we're done with this. We're done with this. Mm-hmm. It's, I can see how the way he edits videos, the way that the content, the people that they're promoting as, like none of this is neutral, even when it's wrapped in a really shiny package mm-hmm. that seems quote unquote family friendly. So a mistake is to just think if it doesn't have any cussing or nudity or sexuality overtly, well, then it's fine. But no, no, no. no. Media inherently is forming in us an idea of what is good and true and beautiful. That's one of the perp- that's one of the things God made it to do. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really helpful. I, I was thinking of this recently. Uh, one of the principles we've used is in Ephesians three and four. This concept of is a- as we're watching, is my mind being conformed to the image of the world, mm-hmm. or is it being transformed by the Spirit? And so as you're watching these things, uh, I think a lot of times it's being critical of what you're watching, mm-hmm. but being aware of the ecosystem. Uh, I remember when The Mandalorian came out, we signed up for Disney Plus, mm-hmm. watched the show, and then canceled it because <laughs> I can't stand Disney. But a lot of people, what will they do is they just like turn your kids loose on Disney Plus. It's Disney, and there, but but like you can read the headlines. There was one in the past week. Uh, Disney is introducing a new LGBT clothing line that is spe- they say specifically targeted at winning kids. Wow. So. Again, Netflix, same thing. They had the the cuties, the little kids who are – it's like pedophilia. How do you put a millstone on a whole company? Yeah. Is that so, – So I think what we have to say is like that's who these people are. Uh, Brian, you've said this a lot. Like stop doing business with people who hate you. And so as much as possible, uh, we know these people are coming after your kids. I think, you know, as you said, having a screen babysitter is a problem because you're basically giving them unfettered access. Mm-hmm. And then you're not sitting there with them – being able to evaluate, being able to say, hey, yeah, some of this will be age appropriate too, right? When your kids are four, you can't really have a conversation with them about the good, true, and beautiful in the same way as if they're 16 and you're saying, yeah. this is why this is garbage. Yep. Um, yep. So I think being aware of ages as well is really helpful. You guys have heard me mention John Michael Clark over at The Family Captain before. Well, The Family Captain is all about practical coaching for Christian husbands in family leadership and sex in marriage. That's right. John Michael has an awesome system and program over there that's helped a ton of guys level up and go from being happily married to ecstatically married. 
Well, the family captain has a conference coming up in Nashville this September 14th, 15th, and 16th, where John Michael, who is also a pastor, is going to be speaking. Of course, but they've also got Ryan Frederick of Fierce Marriage. Ryan's been in the marriage ministry game for a while now. He's a solid brother, and they've got Pastor Dylan Davis as well, who happens to be one of the alumni of the Family Captain program. So it's going to be an awesome weekend where husbands will be encouraged and equipped in practical self-leadership and family leadership. So you guys should definitely check that out. And John Michael, one of the listeners of the Kings Hall podcast, to have 10% off on the conference. So when you register, use the code KINGSHALL, all caps, KINGSHALL, to get that coupon. So that's Nashville, September 14th to the 16th, code Kings Hall, all caps, no spaces, and search The Family Captain on Eventbrite. So gentlemen, one of the things I want to talk about for just a moment is the unique ways that smartphones impact children. I mentioned Jean Twenge earlier, and I would definitely recommend the book. She has a book called iGen. Why today's super-connected kids are growing up less rebellious, more tolerant, less happy, and completely unprepared for adulthood. So as I said, one of the things she argues is that our latest generation has been shaped more than anything by the smartphone. Of course, the iPhone made its debut in 2007. But most notably, in all of the data and everything that she's written – She tells of how children and teenagers have been completely rewired by digital media. So she argues that this has caused widespread depression and anxiety, which we've all seen in the psychological data, as well as declining mental health, particularly among young people. So I want to read a quote. This is from The Atlantic, and she says this. The more I poured over yearly surveys of teen attitudes and behaviors, and the more I talked with young people, the clearer it became that theirs is a generation shaped by the smartphone and by the concomitant rise of social media, and so I have called them iGen. They are born between 1995 and 2012. They are members of this generation and growing up with smartphones. They have Instagram accounts before they start high school, and they do not remember a time before the internet, unlike, as we said, us. The millennials grew up with the web as well, but it wasn't ever present in their lives, at hand at all times, day and night iGen's oldest members were early adolescents when the iPhone was introduced in 2007 and high school students when the iPad entered the scene in 2010. A 2017 survey of more than 5,000 American teens found that three of four owned an iPhone. She goes on, psychologically, however, they are more vulnerable than millennials were. Rates of teen depression and suicide have skyrocketed since 2011. So you'll see in all this, by the way, this is my comment that the data and the rise of anxiety, mm-hmm. it, it's parallel with everything going on with technology. So she goes on. It's not an exaggeration to describe iGen as being on the brink of the worst mental health crisis in decades. Much of this deterioration can be traced to their phones. But the twin rise of the smartphone and social media has caused an earthquake of a magnitude we've not seen in a very long time, if ever. There is compelling evidence that the devices we've placed in young people's hands are having profound effects on their lives and making them seriously unhappy. So essentially, Twangy, that's the end of the quote, Twangy argues that young people today are content to hold themselves up in their rooms and live life through a screen. So she's a sociologist of sorts. She, she'll interview these kids. She's like, what do you do for fun time? Do you go to the mall? Because she's thinking, like, that's what we did. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. go hang out with your friends at the mall? And they're like, no, we just go in our room and we're on Snapchat all day long. We got leeches at the base pond. That's what we did for fun. Oh, dude. Well, first of all, 
this reminds me a lot of Anthony Esselin, Mm -hmm. especially with boys, but like why boys need these outside activities. You need uh, unrestricted play to some extent. I mean, I'm just thinking of my boyhood, but Dan, I'm curious, like I'm sure in Wisconsin, you guys had some killer adventures as boys. Oh man. Yeah. So I grew up probably no surprise with a cornfield in my backyard. And so there were many adventures to be had. So I had probably 360 acres that were completely open behind me, and then there was woods all around me. So there was a creek nearby. So we'd go and get in, get in trouble in the creek, dig through the mud, you know, shoot sparrows with a BB gun. No, we didn't do that. Don't, no one would ever do that. No one would blow gun a swallow through the head. While flying, right? Dude, that one of my greatest accomplishments. I'm not Yeah, I mean, my, my uncle had, he was a manager of a Christian youth camp, and so we would spend a lot of time up there helping him. He also had a lake home. Uh, and so we spent a lot of time out on the water, tons of time fishing. Oh my word. So much time fishing and hunting. And yeah, it was, I mean, it was great. Brian, was your, uh, French Canadian English upbringing similar or were you guys just like having tea time? No, you know, so <laughs> Ohio earliest memories, we had a Creek behind our house. And as a four year old, it seemed like a, like the Huck Finn, Mississippi. I mean, but it was literally probably a three foot wide creek like trickles <laughs> little yeah. snakes and like we'd always yeah. be back there uh in england we lived in a typical london sort of outlying ickenham neighborhood so brick houses lots of parks we'd ride bikes neighborhood kids climb trees we'd go <laughs> and, and, like on these long bike rides all through moved to utah lived on base for a long time and that was a very sheltered environment so my parents would just literally say here's a bicycle we'd go to the pond We'd go to the base shop at and buy Jones Coast sodas, and then just hood rat around. My my Mike, it was it was the dream. It was amazing. It was so good. So I, I want to take those experiences. I want to compare them to a piece of data. Well, you didn't share your own. Yeah, I know. I will. Oh, okay. okay. I would, dude. I'm the hard man. I was like <laughs> wild man in the wilderness. Eric was raised by badgers. Lifting weights is for girls. I lifted heavy stones. We I lifted tree houses. Okay. With yes, live trees. That's right. How did you know that? I, I just, you know, you just knew. I sensed it. So I want to read this this quote. This is from one of Gene Twenge's articles. It's describing our young people today. And I, I just want to compare and contrast two different ways of growing up and how maybe you think it impacts people differently. So she said this. This is a 2022 article from the New York Times. Quote, overall screen use among teens and tweens increased by 17% from 2019 to 2021. That's drastic. Growing more rapidly than in the four years prior. On average, daily screen use went up among tweens, ages 8 to 12, to 5 hours and 33 minutes from 4 hours and 44 minutes and to 8 hours and 39 minutes from 7 hours and 22 minutes for teens 13 to 18. So these young people, gentlemen, are, I mean, think about that, over five hours a day on your phone. What? I mean, it seems unfathomable. Yesterday, my screen time alert said I spent 58 minutes on my phone, but I think that was a phone call. <laughs> you were like, I was, I was on the phone. Calm down. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, we didn't even have a TV. We didn't own one <laughs> until we were like three kids in. And they were like, oh, we'll get a TV. And it was like this. We would take it out of the closet and set it up. <laughs> we, wanted to, we had a DVD player. And then like a year ago, we got a TV that we keep in the nursery and it was connected to the internet. And we're like, this is amazing. You can just with the remote, 
You can just watch something that you buy on Amazon. You don't even need to go to Redbox or ask Amazon yeah. to mail you a DVD. It was crazy. You guys remember that, by the way? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Netflix I remember used that. to mail DVDs. Absolutely. Yeah. And Lexi you, and I did that. We actually were on that. You could choose, like, do I want one disc at a time, yeah. two? Yeah. Oh. Some, a lot of times they didn't work because they were all scratched yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> no yeah, one ever rewound my DVDs. I remember, actually, when Netflix introduced, they <laughs> were like, dork. Hey, we're not uh, we're not going to send DVDs anymore. We're just going to do this streaming thing. And I was like, these idiots! This is never going to take You're like, off. This is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> it took off. It, uh, they were right. They I were can right. just go to the blockbuster. Yeah, this is like right around the corner. Someone when they stole our Hollywood our video, organ, we have a business card for New Christian Impress, and that was recently stolen. One of the things they bought with it was a red box DVD rental. Yeah. Oh boy! And I was like, yeah. people still apparently do that. I don't. I think I have a DVD player. No, <laughs> no we, have I, I, I don't like own one. Years. P- yeah, no. I have one. You do? Well, it's nice. In the, it's in the Xbox. So. Oh, oh okay. Sinner. Okay. Sinner. But that's crazy. Like, what is it? Five, almost five and a half hours. A day. Eight to 12. A day. And that's then it goes crazy. Up, well, it goes up. Uh, people, uh, let's see, 13 to 18 are on there for eight hours and 39 minutes. I mean, if we're going to be honest, I'm on my screen for like, I don't know, nine hours plus a day. On your smartphone? On a computer. Yeah, does it count like... Well, this is smartphones. Oh, okay, it's just smartphone? Yeah. Okay. Well, smartphone and, and uh, tablet. Okay, so it's not counting like you're working on a thing for school it's on not your well, laptop or something. No. Wow, okay, that is that is literally crazy. So yeah. your childhood, you spent eight hours a day watching television? Uh, no, in fact, much like Brian said, I think we got a TV when I was maybe like six or seven. We, we lived in uh, Paonia, Colorado for most of my young adult life. My dad was a coal miner. Honestly, like there wasn't anything really on TV anyway. Uh, we lived in the mountains. You, I think you could buy cable. But I remember back then, like, my dad would always say things like, he's like, what do you think we are? Like, filthy rich. We don't have no cable. What did mom make? Johnny cake and beans with fat back pork or something. Basically, is that wow? Actually, most of the time. So most of my childhood like experience, wilder stuff. Most yeah. of my childhood experience was like on the weekends, in the nights, the evenings. My dad would be like, "Hey, let's go fish." We did a lot of fishing, backpacking, eventually hunting when we got older. Uh, a lot of ranches in the nearby area. So I remember like one rancher, he would pay us. I was like a dollar for every magpie we shot with a twenty-two. Now they're what? In, now they're endangered. That's the they're gra- not. No, they're not endangered. Are they protected? The protected. That's they're the protected, great. Yeah. Like if you told my kids there is a job, one dollar a bird. Yeah, they would be like, "You're joking." Like <laughs> <laughs> they think it, I was a fed. <laughs> Whoa, the feds. Sorry, Ray. Sorry, Ray. They Fix would that. think that I was a fed oh, trying yeah. to trap them. Oh yeah, in something that couldn't possibly be true. Something so Ill- elite. Yeah, so that's literally what we'd do. We'd go down to the – there was a river near our house. Me and my brother would, you know, throw rocks in it, jump in the creek. Uh, the little mud skippers, we called them. I don't know what they actually are. The little bugs and toads and stuff like that. Yeah, we, sure. Mm-hmm. We would always catch those. Um, and then later, my, my life did change. We, we eventually moved to Littleton. So we spent – it's basically a suburb of Denver. That mm-hmm. lifestyle was very different. We still were in the Boy Scouts, so we'd go camping. We'd do yeah. a, a lot of hunting and fishing, that sort of thing. But – being in the city is very different. Yeah. So, but yeah, it, it's just interesting because I look at that, and even to this day, like my dad, he's almost seventy, doesn't really. They don't really watch a lot of TV. Mm-hmm. They don't buy cable. Uh, he he works on the house. He works on the yard. He works on vehicles. Yeah. 
um, just very active. Doesn't have to do any of that stuff. Um, but I, I think it's just a difference in generationally. Now it is interesting. I'll note this. I, I've seen this in the the grandparents' generation. Mm-hmm. A lot of them ended up being like the Fox News all day crowd, right? Which so that's probably sends up a lot of the metrics for like TV usage. Because we're like, guys, listen, Sean Hannity is saying the same thing again today. Mm-hmm. Tune in. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's kind of interesting how how they kind of went more toward TV, but. A lot of that generation, too, I, I think the smartphone is just kind of, like, annoying to them because they grew up without it. Yeah. My dad would always call it an electronic leash. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. It's not wrong. My it, kids, it's not wrong. My kid's great-grandmother is in town right now. She, people in the family were telling her about my music that I'd released. And she, she, her describing how to listen to it was so hilarious. She was like, so you got to get – is it a DVD? Do I have to get a DVD? And I was like, I'm not even going to try to explain streaming on Spotify to Gigi Ma because it's not going to happen. Her experience was like, she gets her phone. The only thing she does, with she calls and texts everybody in the family, takes pictures like of everything. That generation, when you gave them a smartphone, it was hilarious the things they take pictures of. Or an iPad. Or an iPad, yeah. Yep. The pictures, pictures with, with the, the iPad, iPad, which is great. Yes, it's so good. The the generation thing is so underappreciated in developing a strategy for how to relate in fatherhood to our children, because we just have to get that the their their reality is totally different. Yeah, their world is so so completely different. Oh, then. Even the 90s. I mean, even the early 2000s. The world today in 2020s, like, I I look at my kids' birthdays, and I'm like, you were born in 2023? How is that even? People can be born in 2023. (laughs) Well, I mean, the first iPhone coming out in 2007, I remember 2007. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I was in college in 2007. (laughs) Good night. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's crazy. I remember one guy at our church got it. He had the original iPhone. Like the tiny. It was, t- yeah, I won't say it, but I'm, I know who it was. He still goes to our church. And I was like, whoa, this is like, this is like a going to the moon level of technology. It was so crazy. Honestly, the first thing that I remember about it that kind of was actually a big deal was mapping. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No more. Printing map We quest. printed map quest, yeah. kids. Like, yeah. Yeah. you don't understand what it was like to try to go somewhere. You go on a trip, you're going to fly somewhere. And in your backpack, you make sure you've got your MapQuest directions to get from the oh, rental yeah. car to your hotel room. Well, even the even the uh, my oldest, we were having this conversation. He was like, "Dad, if you guys didn't have like GPS maps on your phone, like you and mom used to drive across the country from like Colorado to yeah. Maryland, how'd you do it?" And I was like, "We literally had a Rand McNally, and the number of times our marriage was tested and strengthened because we went three hours in the wrong direction." Oh yeah, unbelievable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it just happened all the time. You had to like kind of figure out where you were on the map. We'd be like, what state are we in? She's like, this has been a map of the Czech Republic the whole time, <laughs> the whole Eric. Time. She's like, we're not in Kansas. We're in Wyoming. <laughs> and you're like, dang oh, it. They look the same. That explains a lot. That really does explain a lot. Yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, one of the things, Brian, you mentioned as we were preparing for this show, I looked this up. The best I could find was Bruce Willis in the fifth element, the kids watching TV. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And he says, don't watch that all day. It'll rot your brain, kid. So true. So my question for you guys, do you think it rots kids' brains? Is that is that a real – we look at all this data. Does it rot people's brains? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to load this even more mm-hmm. as – think about that question. 
So recently I was reading Abigail Schreier's book, Irreversible Damage, talking about transgenderism. Mm -hmm. And it's particularly aimed at young women. One of the things she points out is that all this gender dysphoria and trans ideology being pushed on children is predominantly being pushed and is effective for that 8 to 12 range of people who are on Snapchat all the time. So seems pretty insidious, Mm -hmm. but I I, want to get your guys' thoughts on that. Why is that so effective? Is it rotting their brains? And I'm going to load it even more. Oh, here we go. I'm going to load this even more. Let's hear it. I remember pastoring, and I would have probably people in 8 to 12 range. And they would, I'd be counseling, you know, them, their parents, whatever. And people would say things to me like at the age of like nine, they'd say, um, a pastor, I'm, I'm really struggling. I think I'm bisexual. And I remember thinking, you don't even know what that means. Yeah, what? So as a parent, I'm thinking, what trough are you eating at? And then this happened more and more. And I, I pretty quickly realized these were kids from this Gen Z who were living life on social media mm-hmm. their entire life. Like, so, like you would watch their social media accounts they had at the age of 9 and 10, and they were like something would happen to a celebrity, and they would show up at church, and they would ask prayer requests. I have a prayer request for Caitlyn Jenner. Uh-huh. And I'd be like, oh, my, what? You got to be like, – I don't care about these people. <laughs> All this to say, do you think this stuff is rotting kids' brains out? I have six points. Seven. I have six points, not seven. I could probably come up with seven. That means there's a couple sub points for each one, Dan. They're they're quick. Okay, buckle up. Six points. These are about the negative effects of children of screens on negative effects of children. <laughs> they, they they break things. I'm just kidding. Kids are awesome. Um, no, but really, I do have six. And the first one is that that when you put your kids in front of screens, you are putting them pipelined in to people who are actively trying to disciple them to be evil, obviously. Number two, you are giving them foolish gurus. So not I'm talking first about the people who make mm. the technology, second about the people who are amplified. Connects them to those people. Yeah. Yeah. It, social media tends to incentivize certain behaviors that are and information sources that are foolish. So like Andrew Tate, he has the dopamine explosion of the cars and the porn and all of that and the confidence and the, the the fitness and on the one side. And then you also have the whole tranny thing on the other. Foolish gurus is number two. Number three is the, the influence of peers is amplified by a hundredfold because all of a sudden your children can be spending time literally 10 feet away from you with wildly foolish peers who are addicted to porn and whose kid, parents give them unfettered access to technology through Snapchat messaging, they can be doing that in their bedroom unseen. That amplifies the peer influence. Before that, we had to go out and like hang out with our foolish friends <laughs> and had like sneak or keep it away. And then our parents would be like, Where'd you learn that word? Well, you know, from Johnny. But now you're right. They can just be in their bedroom. In their bedroom. Talking to yeah. uh, a cadre of foolish people. That's number three. Number four is that it makes them fat, sick, and weak. Because they don't play outside, they can't climb a rope, they can't do 50 push-ups, can't ride a bike up a mountain, can't backpack. Uh, You have soft, fat, weak children whose parents have failed them in this respect. Like my kids can do, Ira the other day, he's seven. He did almost 200 sit-ups. His back was bleeding by the time he, they can climb the rope in our backyard. It's like a 20-foot rope up a tree. They can climb it all the way to the top and get in their treehouse. They can ride their bike up a mountain. 
Like they're they have six packs, it, it, and they're like nine and seven, and they're just they're not fat, sick, and weak. And it's be, and a lot of the kids in our neighborhood are, or they're skinny and, and weak. That's number four. Number five uh, is, and we've talked about it, entertainment crystal meth. Basically, that kids can't deal with anything anymore that takes more than one second to get to the pleasure release because they've been trained by instant entertainment to be dopamine addicted in a feedback loop that's endless. Instagram reels, you scroll them, you swipe to the next one, swipe to the next one, swipe to the next one, swipe to the next one. You could do that for hours, days. Lastly, I would call this external brain syndrome is that it makes memory harder when you have access to the illusion of the totality of human thought in your pocket. So why memorize anything if you can Google it? That's really interesting. I, this one hit me, Brian. We, we, my oldest just started driving, so he's 16. He has a Gab phone, mm-hmm. so no access to the internet. He can text, yeah. basically. But the one thing they didn't yet have when we bought it was mapping. Mm-hmm. What was really interesting, because I pretty much can't find anything in Ogden anywhere Everywhere I go, I pretty much type in directions. Mm -hmm. Well, I I said to my oldest, I said, hey, you're going to have to get X, Y, and Z. We got to have to figure out a way. And he goes, Dad, I know how to get there. I remember it. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, what? Because he's been sitting in the back of the car watching us drive everywhere. Yeah. And he doesn't have the luxury of the map, so he's been memorizing streets and where everything is. He knows the city better than I do. Ira does that, too. You know? He'll be like, Dad, you you were supposed to turn there. And I'll be like, ah, but... Oh, I was supposed to turn there. <laughs> he knows. Yeah. So that's really interesting. Yeah, you're, external you're, brain sediment. It does it to adults, too. But I also noticed this, too, uh, I guess plug for St. Brennan's, but they do so much reading, like memorization, mm-hmm. Latin, Greek, that sort of thing, that uh, your mind as a muscle has to be trained. The argument, it seems to be, uh, is that a lot of these devices and technologies are actually dumbing us down. Mm-hmm. Um, making us, what would you call it, crystal meth entertainment? Yeah, they give us the illusion. So this is the same thing Neil Postman talked about in Amusing Ourselves to Death. Technology like this tends to be really good at giving you an illusion of knowledge. But if you back up and you lose the technology, how much knowledge do you really have? Mm-hmm. How, like, for example, if you were to interview somebody one-on-one who spent a lot of time on Twitter or on whatever, CNN or Fox News, and you were to ask them without the phone or the computer or anything and interview them about their knowledge of the Russia-Ukraine conflict, its historical context, what's happening, who's involved, you would probably find that most of us know almost nothing about it. And, and we've had the illusion of certainty and knowledge because we can retweet and like things that whether they actually know anything or not is an open question, but that see, people can say, this is happening, this, this is what you should think, this is what you – and you read it in the moment – and you might comprehend it and retweet it and like it, but do you retain it? Are you able to systematize it into a your your knowledge tree? Can you really understand? Or have you been spoon-fed uh, an illusion of knowledge by media companies and technology? Mm, yeah, that's big. Uh, one of the other thoughts that I have, this is sort of the Alex Jones moment of every show. Literal vampire pot-bellied goblins are hobbling around coming after us. <laughs> we gotta have one. We gotta have one. And Brian, get your hat ready. I'm I'm ready. Get the foil. I'm ready to yell at the top of my lungs. Brought to you by Eric Kahn, Brian Sobey, <laughs> and Dan Burkholder, if you want to be a part of this. Uh, feel free to jump in. Uh, no, but seriously, like, when you uh, you read about the CIA, um, Hollywood, their influence of intelligence mm-hmm. agencies in using Twitter. Okay, read the Twitter files. Yeah. 
the FBI was all over that. Mm -hmm. um, they're controlling the information. They're controlling which information you have. You can read about different operations, Mockingbird and other things mm -hmm. yeah. th that are proven. Like it's out there, public information, they're proven. Both recent and old. Intelligence communities are waging information operations warfare on the American people. Mm -hmm. So for me, this really also changes how I think about technology and my kids. A, I tell them those things. Mm -hmm. Be like, listen, like these people are preying on you. Yeah. Like they are toying with your every emotion. They've studied it. They know it. They know every human motivation possible. And they know what the dopamine drips and the crystal meth is. Yep. So they're going to do everything they can to suck you into that. So I guess my question for you guys is, does that, do you think that's true, number one? And then does it play a role in, I guess, shaping how you think about technology in this conversation? Well, the thing is, I was waiting for you to actually get to the crazy part. Yeah, that's all. Talking well, about. I saved it for you, Dan. For me to yeah. go crazy? Yeah, go crazy. Oh, no, no, I, I'm not going to say anything crazy. No, so that definitely has a big impact in the way that I interact with media. I have very, very young kids. And so your perspective is is going to be a little bit different because you have older kids that can understand, like, what's a military operation or what's, you know, what's the FBI? Like, my my oldest is six. He he doesn't know how to He's like, Dad, I asked anything. if you could look up the Lego set. You're yeah, like, yeah, 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 hang on, though. <laughs> But the CIA. <laughs> but the CIA. They're getting you yeah. through the through Legos. the Legos. It's the Watchers. No, so. Uh, oh, boy. You know, it's really interesting. So we have all of the scientific data. Actually, none of this is private. Like, this is all out in the open. Uh, Andrew Huberman has a lot of good information on dopamine and the effects of the brain, how it actually causes uh, your brain to be rewired. Hmm. And it can cause irreversible damage in the way that your brain actually functions. Yes, sir. Great book, by the way, Dopamine Nation. Also delves into a lot of the research oh, behind interesting. this. Yes. Interesting. Okay, so continue. And so, and so we know that. So we know that, yep. that it's, yep. even if even if it was, the entertainment was wholesome and fine, the way that your brain interacts with it is uh, through this constant dopamine drip that actually rewires your brain and is causing some damage uh, and has all sorts of nasty side effects on your day-to-day yeah. -day life. Uh, in your inability to think, retain memory, like yeah. all this stuff. But then you add on top that there are actually nefarious people, nefarious organizations uh, that are not for you. They don't have your best interests in mind. They want to enslave you to make you slaves of the system. Big time. And then they're the ones that are weaponizing these tools against you. I don't, I mean, I, I'm, I'm looking for the crazy part here. Like it's well, just, yeah. it should affect the way that you interact with this. And it's become more obvious, more and more obvious, as you talked about with Netflix and with Disney and with the rise of, um, you know, homosexuality and, and entertainment and like they're catechizing you yeah, and even, they're killing your mind. Even I think in the, the, one of the things, one of the, you know, things that I would say the red pill movement got right, I guess, was helping men understand what the enemy was using porn to do to you. Right. Like, so it's not just like it's just really filthy. Yeah. Brian Brian is uh, mouthing something very important, all owned by the Jews. I was just going to say. No, but I mean like. The elites. The elites. Oh, yeah. Also they just, own it all. But th this is th <laughs> this is actually a, a big part of the story, though, is when you look at, okay, read the history, you know, E. Michael Jones on the French Revolution, but also, yeah, certain people groups like like the Jews and certain Jews. They own the porn industries, and they're using those things to destabilize, destroy families, destroy children. They know that it pollutes your mind. So I think equipping men especially, because men, look, you are the bulwark 
You're the last bulwark of Western civilization. You are there to defend your families mm -hmm. and your children. Nobody is going to do this work but you. That's right. So if I was going to say anything to guys, it's like you have to be aware of the issues. You have to know the plays being run. And then you have to have a strategy to defeat them. Mm -hmm. Because really, if there's an insurgency, you have to have a counterinsurgency. And so yep. this is why, you know, a lot of people have asked on the Hard Men podcast too, like, wh why are you talking about pornography? Why are you talking about these issues? Because they're literally destroying men's lives mm -hmm. and families as an extension of that uh, as well. So, Dan, we didn't, get, we didn't get enough crazy for you. For me? From me? Or to me? I don't know. You No, I don't think any of that's crazy. No, that's all just like, that's, all, that's just factual information. Open source information. Do with information. it what you will. I yeah. mean, the Jews part, you know. No, it, it, when we when we get into that, what we're saying is that there is literally an elite class of people, and there is a disproportionate. Again, like think about you just have to think clearly about these things. You have groups of people who hate Christ, and you have to remember that this is a literally spiritual thing. So not just like the elite pornography owning ring in Hollywood that happens to be very predominantly Jewish. That's just true. You have to do with that fact whatever you're going to like you, you you can't argue with it being factual. It just is. I'm waving my arms around. I just realized I look like Alex Jones. <laughs> <laughs> and same, you're looking at no me one, like you're trying like, to convince yeah, me. Like the I'm guy like, in front of the 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 It the is actually I agree chart. with you just <laughs> not on the microphone. Yeah, no. But but even it is interesting even with Alex Jones though. Like obviously unhinged moments. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> right. But like when he was like, he was like, when he was ranting at his finest, uh -huh. he was like, guys, I'm telling you, the trans movement is demonic. They are, mm -hmm. they're demons it, and they're coming for your kids. And you look back on that now and you're like, okay, it seemed crazy in the moment, but was he right about that? And, and the, the key point in connection with this episode and topic <laughs> to bring it back is that we're, we're talking about fatherhood and a father's responsibility to guard and keep and cultivate. Right, So you have to recognize that there are other fathers. His name is Satan, and he has sons who want to steal and destroy your children. Mm -hmm. Right, So you have to know who these people are and what they're up to, because they are attempting to make your children antichrist, fat, weak, easily manipulated, uh, to get them completely addicted to the, the digital, to the fake, fake dominion, fake sex, fake world, uh, fake food, fake, fake everything. Because th th those people are plugged into the matrix and they're easy to manipulate and get the power that they want from the masses. That that's what's happening. See, as a father, you have to recognize that those groups exist. We're not talking about neutral world where it's like, well, you guys are going really hard on on these, you know, entertainment people. They're just trying to make good movies and they just want to, you know, let you have a good time at the movies. With they're your... not trying. No, to make good they're movies. not. The movies are horrible. They're intentionally making movies Except they know are probably two. bad and going to lose money. And why are they doing that? Except for what? Except for Top Gun Maverick. I've watched that movie like twenty times. Yeah, it's except for it the average. Except but. for the premarital sex. <laughs> yeah. Good even night. see, this is a point. Yes. Like even in the best movie we can think of recently, it's like, yeah, oh look at that guy. He's climbing in her window, and in I, I when I watched it with my kids, it was Vid Angel, so I filtered everything. Mm -hmm. So he just teleports like all of a sudden. <laughs> he's, he's, he's like doing something, and then they just teleport somewhere else, and my kids never question it. Yeah. <laughs> never <laughs> it's, it's the best. Seems like a big plot hole. Yeah. yeah I, think, oh, I think, Brian, that's really good. So there's kind of, and we can wrap things up here. There's kind of two sides to this. A lot of what we've been talking about is the, the work of guarding as mm -hmm. a father. So in a way, that's a defensive posture. Uh, but, Dan, one of the things with everything else, like think of season one with the King's Hall. 
in, in my view, what we also have to do is not just tell our kids, like, don't do this, avoid this. But there's a reason that you don't want to have your mission robbed is because you have to have a positive vision and mission laid out before you. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if you would uh, just connect the dots for that on me, H how this ties then into that positive mission. Like, I don't want my kid's strength to be robbed because I actually want it to be for something different. Yeah, that's right. No, that's a really good question. And I think it's the question. As you look back onto the principles, how do you actually apply a lot of the stuff that we've said, which is is kind of like uh, painting this picture of doom and gloom in a lot of ways, uh, is that you actually, if you interact with this category incorrectly, that it will completely undermine your mission. It will completely undermine your principles. Yep. If one of your goals is to pass on the inheritance of faith to your children, and they're actively being catechized to hate God, to hate Christ, to think a certain way about the world in a naturalistic way or an atheistic way, or in a, you know, whatever the worldview is that that's being um, propagated in their little minds as they're interacting with this entertainment, um, that will absolutely undermine your mission. And then beyond that, whatever you have in mind, you know, how you want your children to live, what they like, the wealth that you would uh, pass on when they die, when you die, it it's all irrelevant if you don't get that right. Mm -hmm. If you cannot adequately catechize your kids, pass on the inheritance of faith because everything you've done has been actively undermined by this massive entertainment uh, industry and by the worldview that it's propagating, then you've lost. You've lost your mission. Uh, you have lost your kids mm -hmm. and you will live a life full of regret. Like yeah. that's, that's why this is such an important question that you have to get right. How do my kids interact with entertainment? Yeah. Specifically digital entertainment. Yeah. Because there's there's other things too like you have to be careful what your kids read. But we're we're not there yet. Like for for a lot of people, we're not there yet because you don't read. Mm -hmm. And so your kids won't read. They they know how to interact with entertainment because you look at your smartphone all the time. You but, know, that Well, that's actually I think a really positive way to frame that part of it too. Something Neil Postman talks about how TV pushed us away from verbal and reading. So literature and like things like pre he even mentions like preaching, how how TVs change the message of like preachers and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So one of the things that seems like we ought to be aiming at then, we're doing this with St. Brennan's, is we want our sons to be literate. Right. Like that's very different than somebody who's obsessed with a smartphone. Read well, think well, speak well, out of a deep well of virtue. Right. That's that's what we're aiming for. So that would be one of the positives, right? Read your yeah, absolutely. Well, and you can even see from like you, you, popular YouTubers and things like that, they use incorrect grammar and speech patterns because of the quick cuts in order to keep the dopamine going mm -hmm. uh, and keep the video interesting. Yeah. I mean, they're training. They're training your mind. But yeah. It, it will all undermine your mission mm -hmm. if you're not cautious around this. If you don't put up barricades and barriers and build up your family defenses in the right places in how you interact with these things, it will absolutely undermine your mission. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we should get practical to end it out. Like how? What What kind of – what are we doing? What's What should – People think about doing what about teenagers as they're getting older? Phones, yeah. they are going to live in a technological age. How do we make wise sons who can use these tools rather than be used by them? I think that would probably be a good place to land this show. Sure.
Well, yeah. and, and before we get there, okay. uh, one of the questions I'm going to ask in the after hours is, how do you hope that your grandchildren interact with technology mm-hmm. and the rise of artificial intelligence yeah. and with increased AI. digital media? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, Eric, I'd be curious to what, hear what you have to say because you have older kids. Yeah, so I have a, you know, 16, two years behind that, so two teenagers, and then one who is still, I mean, in this 8 to 12 yeah. where they're highly impacted. So a couple things I would say. Number one, on, on like the technology and pornography and all that stuff, everything we talked about, you're going to have to have conversations with your kids a lot younger. Mm-hmm. For us, unfortunately, it was like an elder's uh, kid. My kids were like eight, and this kid's like, you know, has his own smartphone we don't know about. My kids say, hey, we saw some photos of naked women. What should we? And so that really, that was at like eight. Yeah. And, okay, so for me, it was like, Okay, I thought, thinking back to my childhood, you know, we can wait till they're 15 or 16 to really dig into those issues. No, you can't. You're going to have to make them aware of the dangers much, much earlier. Um, So that's something that we've done is we've just been very – I've been very open with the boys. Look, here's the challenges. Here's um, what you're going to face, and here's how you defeat them. Some of the practical things that we've done – okay, so my my 16-year-old is driving. We decided he does need a cell phone. He's uh, interacting with people he's doing business with and for and stuff like that. He needs that. But w- we ended up deciding to use the Gab phone, as I mentioned, because you can text. Um, they're adding mapping now, I believe. So you can text and map. And, but but I've told him, look, like we're not giving you unfettered access to the Internet. Mm-hmm. That's a horrible decision. Can you take and receive photographs on the Gab phone? Uh, it depends which package you get. Okay. On the one that we did, yes. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and, and I've told them too, like, uh, we have regular, you know, with, with my, especially with my older boys, but we have regular check-in, like, yeah, you know, have you been tempted to look at anything? Have you looked at anything, mm-hmm. um, of any of our devices, uh, things like that is anything, you know, eating you up inside. So, so kind of going through those things, Michael Foster was really helpful on this. Don't treat them like idiots. Right. Look, you know, this is the world that we face. Treat mm-hmm. them like brothers in Christ. Yeah. Uh, that you're trying to help and disciple uh, in all of those things. Uh, on the other technological fronts, we just have very limited access and use. Um, there are, fortunately, a lot of good digital – they call this digital parenting. But you can find a lot of resources and in, in, in stuff to use, even with the iPad, where we have one iPad that's family use. Um, you can restrict specifically this window and this thing. You're allowed to watch this only – Sit there. You can watch it. It's usually 30 minutes a day or something like that if the kids want to watch goofy videos. It's usually during the school year. It's usually Brian and my son, they finish their homework and they get to watch like a Brian Regan clip or something. Mm -hmm. Um, So we know what it is ahead of time, all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. That's sort of been enjoyable. As they get older too and we're watching movies, uh, I could go back to something. It was recently on Canon Plus that Nate Wilson had said. My main goal isn't to guard my kids from everything though there are certain things I will definitely guard them from. And he was talking about the Wolf of Wall Street. Like, he said, all these people were like, oh, I know it's rough, but you need to watch it. He's like, I made it like 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the first scene, I I was the same. The first scene is so graphically inappropriate Mm -hmm. that it's like, Nate said, he's like, I don't know how a Christian can watch this. Right. I just don't know how that's possible. The, The other side of it is then when we decide, okay, this is something that they can watch, but as Dan mentioned with Top Gun, you have to be helping them process what are you watching, what's good, what's bad. So we have a lot of those conversations. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the the 
premarital fornication. Yeah. I didn't even say anything, and my my boys were like, fornicators, fornicators. <laughs> At St. Brandon's, we've actually had to coach some of the older boys. And to when I chill. say older boys, I mean the con boys. <laughs> <laughs> to stop calling everything gay in every sentence. In you know, every... we're like, you, you actually have to, <laughs> like, you have to know the time and place. <laughs> you have to dial it back. Yeah. Um, so those are a few things that uh, come to the top of mind. Again, I think fathers, when you're dealing with your ch- kids, be direct. Don't be the awkward like, well, you know, there, there's a, you know, the, the birds and the, the, the bees and the, like, don't do that. Uh, again, if you, if there's some good podcasts on, uh, formerly it's good to be a man, uh, podcast. They're, they're not making the podcast anymore, but the, I believe these still exist. Michael has a great one on pornography and how to talk to young men about it. Mm. That's an excellent resource. Good theology. Mm. Maybe start with something like that. I think yeah. Toby Sumter also has one on porn. I know we're talking about digital too, but these kind of overlap. Yeah. So, Dan, thoughts? Practical? Yeah, I mean, the way uh, I've got young kids, right? So the temptation is always there to plug them in, you know, anesthetize them, as as you yeah. said. Like, they're being horrible. And my wife called this morning. It was it was kind of sad for her. It's funny for me. Uh, but <laughs> oh, boy. oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> so my, my, my third boy, he's, he's not obeying. Not funny. Uh, with, like, anything. And then my eldest boy went into the minivan and he found a box of tissues, and he knows better. He's six. He unloads the box in the van. So there is an entire box of tissues mm-hmm. in the minivan. Yeah. And then my number two child uh, dug through every crevice in the van, glove box and everything, and, and tossed it. So it anyway, uh, the like temptation is to say, like, this is too much for me. Plug them into the TV. Yeah. Right? That is the temptation. And so that's something that we've had to fight against. Uh, actively and to put boundaries up for them. Because the thing is like, once you start doing that, it's easy button Mm -hmm. temporarily, but I'm sure you guys have even noticed, like you're like, okay, we'll do movie night. You know, we'll sit down and watch a movie. This is the movie we're going to watch. You're, you're ready for it. And then after the movie, the fussing begins. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like a trade-off. That's Mm -hmm. one of the things that we've noticed is especially when they were younger, Anytime you would have screen time or video game time, even if it was like limited, like 30 right. minutes a yep. day, yep. the amount of fussing, whining, and fighting post yeah. is like, it's like morphed your kids into somebody else. Right. So the way that we we view um, using screens for our young boys is is that this is not producing the fruit in their lives that we want. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so the use is, has become very, very limited to the fact of like the other day we watched Homeward Bound. Together, I as remember a family. that one, man. It's it's a great one for kids. Yeah, dude. At the end, I'm like crying. Like, what is wrong with I me? I forgot about that movie. I need to watch Shadow. That. Shadow. Anyway, back when anyway. movies were wholesome. Yeah, dude. Back, yeah. Sassy absolutely. the cat. Those yeah, there cats, was actually virtue. Those dogs. And, mm. Yeah, yeah. So you know, so uh, I'll be very intentional about what we watch. Um, the thing that I I've been convicted of recently is my smartphone use mm-hmm. because the kids get obsessed with seeing your screen. Mm -hmm. Well, and they're also watching you do that all the time. Yes. Yeah. So um, that's one thing that I've limited. So I put a a limiter on my phone so that I can't interact with any social media apps, video apps, anything like that for three hours at night. Mm -hmm. And so then I'm not getting messages. I'm not. And it's funny the number of times that I'll just open my phone and immediately press something that is blocked. Mm -hmm. And I don't think about it. Yeah. 
But so it's been really good barrier for me. Yeah. And uh, I, I've been even thinking about uh, upping that to a, a bigger extreme because I want my kids to love to read. Right. And they see dad on their phone and not reading. Yeah. And so th- that's one of the things that I've been working through is 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 trying to thread the needle on on phone use for myself personally because I think we got the TV side down. Yeah. So I, I don't know about you, Brian. No, I was literally I, I wrote in my notes from this that that was one of the things that I was convicted of preparing for this episode because we've I mean there have been things I've tried like I got to do this but I realized when we were making this episode I need to do almost exactly what you just described like turn my phone off put it in a basket until yeah. the kids are till bedtime um, from that critical time. Because it is. It's so tempting. You get the notification. You can justify it in a hundred ways. People need to get in touch with me for pastoral emergencies. I'm like, most of the time, they actually don't. And if it's a true emergency, they'll call my wife, too, like if they can't get a hold of me, because I think she has a better handle on that than I do. So that was definitely a conclusion that I came to. And since she listens to the King's Hall... I now have to do it because oh, she'll, she'll no. whenever we publish this episode, she'll she's I gonna see text me you're on she, your phone again, no. Brian. She's totally and the the, the great thing is my wife is one hundred percent does not nag me. Does she is so respectful. She's never like, oh, hey, I see you need a bit about your phone. She she just doesn't do that, and so I'm I'm grateful for that. But it also means like when your wife respects you, it means you have to double down on self-rule because you don't want to have to have that external your wife nagging you to have to be a virtuous man like no. that's effeminate so in our house technological limitations are pretty similar like again we try to make screens a family event not a solo event and something that's like pretty obviously demonstrating virtue. Like the fishing show is a good example. It's a guy who is going to the most extreme lengths of suffering, sometimes for weeks in the Amazon, to just to to fit to catch one fish. It's the perfect example of a man, <laughs> like of like masculine virtue. Guy's not a Christian or anything, but it's clean. He's complete. It's so fascinating. And I want my kids to be like, Okay, when you look at who's the hero of the show, it's Jeremy Way, this extreme angler who's like in good shape. He's an older guy who's like going for it. He's it's he speaks every language on the Amazon River apparently, like Lingala and all this. So it's that kind of thing for us that that we tend to prioritize when we're watching things. Another thing we do a lot, I've become increasingly sensitive to cussing and crass language, passionate kissing of anybody on a screen, uh, kissing between anybody who's not married. So if we're going to watch something, I almost never watch anything without filtering it now. We use VidAngel, and I filter aggressively. If someone's going to take the Lord's name in vain, I filter it out. If someone's going to cuss, I filter it out. If there's a passionate kissing, I filter it out. If there's nudity, I filter it out. And if I look at a movie after doing that and you can't watch it, then I say, this is not it's like 20 oh, this minutes is not long. good. Yeah. I'm not getting then we're not going to watch it at all. Yeah. And it's it's been disappointing to the kids sometimes when they're like we want to watch this, we know this person watched this, blah blah blah. I'm like I'm like no. It's because it's it's not going to help you. And there is so much good stuff out there genuinely, mm-hmm. especially in that category of like adventure, outdoors, um like really good historical movies. Things that can still portray darkness mm-hmm. and evil and violence, 
but do it in a way that sh- that isn't confusing what is black and what is white, right? My kids are young. I do believe that as they get older, some of these things are going to fundamentally as that self-rule, but, but to the point where I don't want them to want to watch people taking the Lord's name and cussing a lot, right? What, what I want to see positively formed in my children, what I try to do myself, is that I want my children to be able to use technology as a servant of glory and not be enslaved by it. So I want my children to be adept at using digital technology. I want my children to be adept at using even something like social media. Um, some of these AI tools possibly could become very useful in the hands of a wise, virtuous man, 100% forming businesses, things like that. But, but I want to see that formed in them first and then help them find the, the, the skill in using those things and not just assume that they need certain things that our culture has decided they need. They don't need to watch them. A, mo- a certain movie. They just don't need to. It's not going to help them. You know? They don't need to see the upside down Spider-Man kiss. I filtered it out. <laughs> uh, well, I was just laughing because I remember yeah. you talking about watching that with your kids through yeah. Kid Angel. Yeah. You're like, the plot made no sense. The plot at certain points, the the love story, because the way Hollywood tells love stories is essentially just through erotic love, sex. So it, it actually also shows like glorious movies like uh, or glorious love stories, especially for the past Pride and Prejudice like the, the sound love, of music. Yeah. The love stories happen through intelligent dialogue and difficult situations and the discovery of the true character of a person where you realize this man was actually a worthless man. Mm. And this man that seemed at first to be surly or whatever, he had some repenting to do. He's proud, whatever. But he had the real Christ-like character. So there are still good stories. Still, Christians need to be making amazing films, amazing music, amazing works of fiction. Christians need to be dominating this space because mm. the culture is making absolute crap. They're making absolute worthless garbage. So if Christians get in the filmmaking world and they start making really good love stories again, sign me up. Like I'll, 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 I'll pay. I'll help pay for it. Whatever it is. But right now, it's just like it is such worthless crap. 99.9% of the time. It's because of who makes it. Here I stand. Gentlemen, wonderful show. We made Brian laugh. He's not wrong. You, He's you know, not wrong. <laughs> He's not wrong. Wonderful show. Uh, Festina, whatever. Where were we? Festina Lente. Festina Lente. Hey, Festina Lente. It's a spicy meat the ball. Uh, okay. It is Latin. <laughs> it is Latin, so I, I'll give that a pass. I'm, there is Good such thing pass. as the Italian pronunciation of... Latin. So hey, did, I'll did you guys see that go out the window? That was what? our credibility. <laughs> oh, I was, I was literally <laughs> like, what, what happened? You yeah, got, you got me. Spicy meatballs. Come on. Well, guys, thanks for listening to this episode. No, of- you know what, guys? <laughs> I want to thank you yeah, for listening yeah. to this episode. <laughs> and until next time, Festin Alente, make haste slowly. That's right. <laughs>